for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, Believers Church. It's good to be here this morning. For those of you that don't know me, that's not important. Uh, but I happen to be your pastor's father. I'm a version Windows 1.0, I guess you could say. I'm the one that started all of this. Uh, but uh, he's far exceeded anything that I've been able to accomplish in life, and I'm very proud of him, of course. He's in Charlotte right now, I believe. I sent him a text this morning and said, um, uh, I'm praying for you that you'd have a safe trip, dot, 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 as safe a trip as you can have sitting in a chair at 35,000 feet traveling at 600 miles per hour with a pilot who had a bad night's rest and a, and a co-pilot that's playing Angry Birds on his phone. So... Uh, so hopefully he's made it to Charlotte. I don't, I don't know if he has or not. But, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you really have no control when you're in an airplane flying that high. Actually, you have no control driving down the road from home to church this morning. Uh, you have no control where you're sitting right here. Everything that you have is because of the grace and the mercy of God, is it not? We hear some of the strangest stories about what happens to people and, and some very traumatic things. And we see some things that, you know, where people are passing away in their sleep. And I'm thinking, okay, I want that one. I want that one. You know, I want to have a good meal, have some of my best friends over to have a, you know, really good discussion. Then I'm going to go to bed and, and wake up dead. Okay. That, that's what I want. I don't want any of this suffering or anything like that. But ultimately, God has control of all of that. And since the very beginning of time, uh, ever since, you know, the Adam and Eve story up through today and beyond now and into our eternity, God will always be the one that's in control, no matter how often we think that we are. And that's something. I mean, we've got to think about that every once in a while and put that in, 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 the pri- in the right perspective because we get all worked up. We get all excited about, about being in charge or thinking we should be doing this or we should be doing that. And he just tells us, just as he spoke to the, to, you know, to the lake up there in Galilee, he said, peace, be still. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word this morning. And turn to the book of the Revelation. The book of the Revelation. And uh, let me tell you what I'm going to talk about this morning. Pastor Matt has been talking on a subject called Rethink Church. And I'm going to have, he's very good at this. I'm not. This is the first time I've ever stood up here. I was concerned that even my Bible would sit on this thing here this morning. So uh, I'm, I'm looking to see what screen I got up here. But you've seen this, this particular slide for the past three or four weeks, and, and you're going to see it for a couple more. And when he asked me to speak, knowing that he was going to be out of town, um, I said, well, what do you want me to talk about? He said, well, talk about what, what you do. And, and what I do is I, I'm a 
a denominational uh, person. I work with the Southern Baptist Convention, and um, I, m more specifically, I work with the Holston Baptist Association here in Washington County. Uh, I have about 90-some-odd churches that I'm not responsible for, but I serve them. And the particular area that I serve is in the area of church replanting and church revitalization. So what he asked me to talk about today with you all is basically a 10,000-foot view of what the church looks like. And we'll, we'll see what that looks like here in just a minute. But in week one, and I've been, I've been blessed to be here, and I'm going to tell you guys I appreciate you all so much for how you've received Matt and Beth and his family in, and, and us, even though we're, I parked in visitors this morning. I probably shouldn't, but I was in a hurry to get here, so I just took a first parking spot. But I really don't feel like I'm a guest uh, because you've made us feel so welcome in this days of COVID-19, as welcome as you can be. I think I've bu bumped elbows with about everybody in here anyway. But back on uh, July 26, uh, his first message was, it's not irrelevant. It's a place of transformation. Now, I'm not going to be up here to re-preach everything that he said, but I'm here to say this. When we talk about relevance, we think about, is it something that's important enough for you to take note of? Is it important enough for you to stop whatever it is that you're doing and listen? And what we're going to see today is that for the majority of, and we're just going to talk about North America. I'm not going to talk to you about what's going on on some other continent. I've got no control over that, not that I've got any control over anything in the United States. But I want to talk about us very specific in this country and the situation we happen to be in as it relates to Christianity, okay, as it relates to the church of the living God, as it relates to the individual churches that dot the landscape in the 50 states that we have across North America. But he's talking about it not being irrelevant. Well, technically, he's correct. It is not irrelevant, but it is irrelevant in a lot of people's minds. You figure in these days of COVID, um, church is not even considered essential, but massage parlors are. You know, think about that. Car washes are considered essential. Churches are not. We're talking about dealing with men's souls, but yet we are not considered essential. And it's because the relevancy that our, our country, our culture, puts on who we are as the church. And the reason why is not because God is any less God, because He's not. God is not any less God. We just treat Him that He is. We'll talk a little bit more about that the next week. He spoke about it's not broken. It's a place of unity. And when you hear me talk today, you're going to say, well, Brian, you just contradicted what your son said, that it's not broken. But the church of the living God is not broken. But the church that we have created is broken. It is desperately broken desperately, terribly broken. And thirdly, he talked, this was this past week, it's not a social club. It's a place of inclusion. And that is something that we've done. And you'll hear a little bit of that flavored in what I'm uh, talking about today is that what you have in a church a lot of times is you have a group of people who like the same type of things and they come together because they enjoy the same kind of music. They enjoy the same kind of talks. They like the same kind of subject material. But it is not life-changing for them. So before we read, well, let's go ahead and read Re uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. 
And I don't guess I'll see it up here well, so I'm going to read it through here. Okay, to the end. Now, this is, this is the uh, disciple John, the apostle John, just to sort of set this up. What's happened is John is probably in his latter days of life, and he has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And he sees a vision. And when he sees this vision, he sees the seven churches that were there in Asia. That is what he has seen. That's what, that's what this happens to be about when we open this up. John was the last apostle. All right? He's out there. He's exiled. And this particular church that's being addressed right here happens to be a church that was very strong in its foundings in Acts chapter 10 whenever the Apostle Paul come along. So with that being said, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things say he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And if you're reading through the book of Acts and you're reading through the book of Ephesians, it tells you about the dilemmas that they were facing. What they were facing was, was you had a church that was founded and it was solid and it was a church that loved people and their hearts were broken for the lost and the dying and, and, and they prayed all the time. And what happened was a, over time, and it wasn't long. It wasn't a long, long time. I mean, in, in, in their lifetime, they saw elements coming to the church, the pure church, and it started turning its direction away from the reason why it was created to start with. And they were fighting against that. It's just like, you know, my wife made some great hamburgers the day before yesterday, I must say. And, and they tasted de different than they have ever tasted. And uh, one of our friends was there eating with us and was talking about how good they were. And she did a little something different with her hamburger. So it was a different kind of seasoning that she put in there. Now, sometimes when you put certain kinds of seasoning in food, it's really, really good. But there's also times when you put seasoning into food where you think, okay, lesson learned, don't do that again. And what tends to happen in church is that you will have somebody who will put their personality or put their, their understanding of Scripture. Uh, you know, there's always been this problem with, you know, with translations in the Bible. Well, whatever translation you've got, it really doesn't matter as much as what you do with it once you take it and put it into your life and you make application with it. And what was happening in the church in Ephesus is that you had people that was coming in and they were taking the gospel, okay, the pure gospel, and they were perverting it. So that brings you back up here to verse, let's read verse 3 again. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. I want you to let that sink in here for just a moment. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen... And look at how I've worded this up here. In verse 4, nevertheless, you notice I put that in yellow. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. If you're trying to put the, your finger on what happens to be wrong in a particular situation, this angel is telling the apostle John, right here is where the problem happens to be. You have got sidetracked somehow, and what was most important in the beginning is no longer the most important thing. We have gotten off of the track. So what it is in this instance is that you have left your first love. Verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. 
Meaning, you know, if you've ever lost anything, what do you do? You go back to the last place you remember having it, do you not? So he's saying, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. And he says, repent and do the first works. Meaning that what you must do is you must repent. And we live in a very, very unrepentant nation uh, from the top down. I mean, we're a very, very unrepentant nation. We have a reason for everything we do. We have an excuse for everything we do. We believe that we can justify everything it is we do. And this permeates all of the culture, including the American church. So he says this. Here's what's going to happen. Just like a, a parent telling a child, okay, you can go on with that lifestyle if you want. I mean, you don't have to clean up your room. You don't have to, you know, clean up this mess. You don't have to put these clothes on. You don't have to do this. But here's what's going to happen. You know, there's, there's cause and effect, okay? It says this, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Is that what we want? But let me tell you, all across the United States of America, that is what has happened. Not just, and it has happened all around the world. But we're talking, as I said, very specifically about the church in North America. And it says, unless you repent. So you have an option. We have an option. And when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about... about the church. I'm not talking about, you know, the body of Christ as much as I am the church. Now, I'm going to give you, as I said, this 10,000-foot view of the church and just tell you that about 3,500 to 4,000 churches on average close in America each week. Now, I represent a denomination called the Southern Baptist Convention, and it's the most evangelical, uh, and it's the largest uh, denomination in the United States. We have about 47,000 churches across, uh, across the United States, and we're losing about 900 I think last year we lost about 930 churches. We're closing about 13 churches per week. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, that's, that's awful, or is it? You know, with the number of churches we have, is, does that represent a large number? Well, stop and think that, you know, the Southern Baptist happens to be the most evangelical Protestant um, denomination in the United States. Doesn't mean that they've got everything right, because everybody knows that they don't. But... We're the people who stay as close to the Word of God as we can, is our understanding. But yet we're closing that many churches. And why are we closing that many churches? It's because we have left our first love. If you boil it down, that's what you end up with. And it's happened because of a lot of reasons. Now, the good news is if we're closing 3,500 to 4,000 a year, we're also opening about that many. Now, how are we doing that? We're opening that through church planting, and my family has been uh, part of two church plants, one in Asheville, North Carolina, and one here in Tennessee, and we love that kind of work. I mean, this was a church plant, you know, back in its founding here, uh, what, 20 years ago, or roughly somewhere in that neighborhood, um, and it started about the same time ours did whenever we moved over here in Tennessee. So I love church planting. And then we have what's called replanting, where we're taking churches who are closing, and, and once they're um, off of hospice, and then we finally laid them to rest, we're able to rebirth them with another church, another congregation. So that is something that we're doing. And the churches in the United States, they've entered into another part of ministry, another season of ministry, gone are the days whenever church attendance was societally accepted. 
Now, and you've heard this as well, and you've probably bemoaned it, or you've probably been part of it. You know, there's probably people who's affiliated with this congregation that's out, well, I don't know, with COVID-19 if you are not, but, you know, we've got travel ball. We've got, I mean, there's so many things that we do on a weekend now that we used to not do. And used to, it was a, a Sunday thing for people to come to church and help me to understand this, but coming to church does not necessarily translate, translate out into a faithfulness, you know, towards God. But nevertheless, we just don't have the relevancy that we once did. In this next slide, I just want to show you this, this decline and kind of put it in perspective here. If you'll notice that chart there, and that was the stock market, it wouldn't look too good, would it? Okay. Well, let's just say uh, that you're 40 years old in here today. Some's younger, some's older. But let's say that you're 40 years old. And this is going to represent what the church looked like from the time you were 14 years old. Okay, some formative years from age 14 to about age 34. So it's taken a 20-year period of time. And what you're seeing is that the church decline in five particular measures have went down. Now, that's about as boring as cracker dust, okay? About as dry as cracker dust. You know, some people don't like statistics, but I'm a statistic kind of guy. So in this next slide, I'm, I'm going to show you this, and then we're going we're gonna to get on to the, how we fix it, okay? But the great American religious decline, if you go to the next slide there, Ryan, you're going to see that it happens to be in these five areas in particular. And we struggle here in the, in the United States with our religious identity, there was a time, and you can look at all the polls, you can look at Pew Research, you can look at Barna. There are so many different polls out there that measure this. Going back to the 50s, whenever we had our soldiers coming back from World War II and the Korean War, and they settled down in the suburbs, and they had their, their three children and, and their pet, and, and uh, they went to work in, the, in a manufacturing facilities. And uh, they went to school. They still had prayer in school at the time. There's always going to be prayer in school, by the way, so I don't think that's going to fix the issue. But, I mean, life was at its best in the United States of America at that time, and people were flooding the churches. People were flooding the churches. But our religious identity today, we really struggle with who we are. And not just from a religious standpoint. We have kids struggling today with issues that we maybe didn't even consider. They don't even know what sex they are. They don't even know what gender they are. So just stop and think about that. Now, if you're struggling with that, then struggling with your religious identity can't be that far. Who do we believe? Who do we believe? Who is, who is up there far enough ahead of us for us to follow that has not let us down because of some failure on their part? For us to say, that's my hero in the faith. That's who I want to be like. You know, we don't emulate these missionaries of old like we once did. We don't emulate these pastors of these great churches like, like we once did. Uh, we don't know what's right, if we should be part of a denomination, if we should be part of, a, uh, of uh, something independent. We don't know if we're supposed to be, uh, you know, this particular bent over here or this particular bent over there. So we just don't know who we are in the United States in the United States. Secondly, uh, our worship attendance has, has plummeted. It's not unusual. The average congregation in the United States right now runs under 100, and in a lot of cases, the median-sized church is running about 60, 60 to 65 
people. There's many churches just like this picture right here. I preached in one this past Sunday, a multi-million dollar edifice with 22 people in it. And that's not unusual, and most of them being elderly. Church membership, of course, is down. Man, I'm making this sound awful, aren't I? I apologize, but it's going to get better. But it's importance in life. really goes with the last bullet point, relevancy for today. Just how important is faith in what we do? And is our faith in an institution, or is it in a person? That is very, very important. I want to um, read this quote. This was part, in, on the next slide here, this was something that I wrote back, I don't know, six months ago, and I dug it out for this particular message. As Christians of the 21st century, we have become institutionalized, meaning we have become a non-reproducing, institutionalized organization that benefits hardly anyone but ourselves, and that's not looking so good at the moment. If you'll stop and think, you can take a church and you lay out the metrics that are important to measure. First, you've got to determine what those metrics are. What is important to measure? In my growing up days, early in ministry, it was not unusual for a pastor to call me on Monday or run into them somewhere in town, one of the first questions they would ask was, how many did you have yesterday? That was huge. That was huge. How many we had. We have something called an annual church profile now. And what we do is we send it out to every church that we're affiliated with, and we say, hey, fill this out. And it's got the metrics on there that we measure to help determine what their health happens to be. And we talk about attendance. We talk about giving. We talk about baptisms. And we talk about in what groups uh, of ages those baptisms are occurring. Are they happening from... Uh, 6 to 9 years old? Are they happening from 10 to 14 years old? Are they ha- you know, we've got them broken down into these various categories. And what we have found out is that the reason why the church was founded, we are failing miserably. But yet, we're doing a lot of other things really, really good. But that's sort of like arranging furniture on the Titanic, is it not? If we've got away from the first thing that's important. So go to the next slide. A good friend of mine wrote, wrote this one. It's in a book that he has uh, called, um, I'll think of that book here in just a minute, The Starfish Movement. Dan Greider, he's uh, the director of Ignite Discipleship. The American church has taken a highly productive, life-changing kingdom that Jesus gave us and turned it into a highly structured machine. Now, please understand me, guys, those of you that are back here behind the computers, and those of you that are standing up here, those that have all the many foot pedals over here, man, I could really mess you up, couldn't I? I could just start a stomping, you know, doing my little old flat foot over here. You know, I could come over here, and I could twist a few buttons here. I can come over here, and I can readjust a couple heads on some drums. I can, uh, you know, pull some lights out, and I could really mess this place up today, couldn't I? However, it's not about any of that. It's not. It's not about having a headset on. It's not about having a screen. 
It's all in having a relationship with the one who conquered death. Plain and simple. Listen to what Dan went on and said. It was too big for me to put on a screen, but listen to this. In 313, let's go back and do a little church history, okay? In three, now, you remember whenever Jesus was walking the earth, who was it that crucified him? It was the Romans, was it not? The Romans crucified him because the Jews asked, but it was the, I mean, it was, Rome was in charge at that time. They were known as the world uh, leaders at that time. And if you were to look at a map, you'd see all of it colored out there in Europe and Asia, you know, where they were in charge. So in 313, just 250, 300 years later, in 313, the Roman Empire numbers over 60 million people with over half registered as Christian. So what happened? This thing that came from this little carpenter, which was first called the way, and his 12 disciples grew into over half of the world empire. Now, don't tell me there was no influence there because there was. Matter of fact, it was such a great influence that the emperor was impacted by it. And a lot of what we know that goes on in Jerusalem today was impacted because his mother went back there and recovered all of the sites that we currently go visit today if we go to the old city in, in, in the surrounding area. I've been there, and they say this is where this supposedly took place, and this is where this supposedly took place. That's how much influence they had at that time. But let me tell you what happened. The swift growth of Christianity over a few hundred years stalled out. What happened? It stalled out. I mean, you saw whenever uh, Peter first preached and 3,000 people were saved, this was not a, a, an addition kind, kind of uh, ministry. This was a multiplication. This was an exponential kind of ministry where people were coming to know Christ, but it started to die out. It became less about rapid organic multiplication of spirit-filled followers who would gather in small communities of believers and be more about the process of institution. Most of what we know, and this is very important for us to grasp, most of what we know today about doing church comes from this model. And then some of you all that know a little bit about Bible history knows that just a little over 500 years ago, there was a person who came up with this writing 97 Theses, and he goes to the church in Wittenberg, and he nails it up on the door. And he says, we're not doing it right, and this is what we need to be about. And the Reformation began. So 500 years later, here we find ourselves, and, and this is very important for us to understand. Any upgrades on how we have done church since that time has been more about style and form and less about multiplication and get this, the concept of ecclesiology, which is the practice of church. Okay? You got beliefs and you got practice. What's beliefs? What you think about God, what you think about Jesus, what you think about the Holy Spirit, what you think about the afterlife, what you think about sin, what you think about, you know, those things. Okay, the practice of that, though, can be totally different. Yeah, I believe in God. Well, it's just like saying this I believe in being faithful to my wife as I'm kissing another woman. Can you see how the belief and the practice varies? 
Okay? So we can say we believe in God. We believe in salvation as ordered as the Scripture says that it happens. We, we believe in discipleship the way that Jesus has ordered it in the Scriptures, but yet we don't practice it. So when we talk about ecclesiology, we're talking about the practice, the concept of ecclesiology, the practice of the church becoming the focus more than the ecclesia, the ecclesia which is the community of believers. And that is where we have to get back to. Now, I'm going to go through this next one really quick. This next slide here, well, well, that you saw, I, I left that one up there just for you to have an opportunity to read, but three, put this in, I, I, can't, I can't put this in my mind hardly. Three quarters of a trillion dollars has been spent in the last 10 years churches in America, on churches in America. Now, that's to build buildings, remodel buildings, to buy equipment, these kinds of things. But yet, the numbers are declining and people come to know Christ. What's wrong? We're the only continent in the world where Christianity is not growing. But yet, we have the most resources. We have the best schools. We have everything we need but we have become so dependent on ourselves and less on God. See where I'm going? Now, we're at a crossroads. Skip on through there. And, it, you know, the American church finds itself at a crossroad. Remain the same or change. Go to the next one here. And I got a little thing here, and it just made me think because my, my, uh, um, my wife and I, well, we have family down in Augusta, Georgia. We're down there quite a lot. Not as much since all this mess has been going on. But uh, there was a time we were coming back. And uh, as you get out of Augusta and you're headed towards Interstate 26, you have the opportunity to either go one direction and go to Columbia, which is 75 miles, or you can go to Spartanburg, which is also 75 miles. So either direction you go, it's going to take you 75 miles to get to one of those two cities. So I'm not feeling that well. I'm tired. She says, I'll drive. Well, I fall asleep. And I wake up. This has been several years ago. I wake up, and I start looking at the road signs. And I said, Angie, where are we? She said, we're almost in Columbia. I said, sweetheart, that's the wrong way. <laughs> she didn't get off the exit ramp the right way. She took the wrong one, you know. Not her fault, not her fault, because you know it's never your spouse's fault. Never. Okay? So I'm saying, honey, we're going the wrong way. And you know what she said? But aren't we making good time? Okay? Anybody know who originally said that? Yogi Berra was the one that said that. He had all kinds of neat things that he could say. But your perception is your reality. As far as she was concerned, until I woke up, she was going the right way. But let's say I'm walking across the stage here, and I've got my hand in my pocket, and when I left the house, I had $20. I had a, a 10, a 5, three ones, and then some assorted change, okay? About $20 in my pocket. And I stick my hand in my pocket here about 10 minutes till 11, and I say, where'd that money go that I put in there? And I pull it out, and I've got like $3 and a dime. And I think, where have I been? Ah, that's no big deal. I'm not going to worry about it. I'll just keep on walking until the rest of it's gone. No, what do you do? 
You stop. You find out where the hole is. And you fix it. That's what you do. So that's what the American church is needing to do right now. But let me tell you what, it hurts. How many of you all are right-handed? All right. Got a pen? Take a pen real quick. We're going to do a little exercise here. Take a pen. Find something to write on, even if it's your spouse's arm or your child's arm. They would like that. My daughter loves to write all over herself. But I just want you to write your name. Have you ever written your name before? Yes, you have. It's, the, it's, it's what you have done more than anything in this world. And you were taught in school how to do this. Okay? Now, was it easy? Of course it was. Now, watch this. Put it over in the other hand. Now, write your name. I broke my wrist back when I was about 18, 19 years old. And for a couple of months, I had to learn how to write with my less dominant hand. And I finally was able to. And I can still somewhat do it, but it's not easy, is it? Because we have to unlearn a process before we can learn the right way. Now, how many of you all sleep with the ceiling fan on? Why? It feels good, doesn't it? If you go to bed and you don't turn a ceiling fan on, what do you do? You get back up and you turn a ceiling fan on. Some people will uh, have a certain way that they do things in the morning when they get up. I've got to have my paper laying there, or I've got to have my, my, my smartphone there. I've got to have my cup of coffee here. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. And, and we just like things to be a certain way. I don't know about you guys, and I'm just going to talk to you guys, and I know ladies do this too, but I'm, just, I'm not a lady, so I really can't uh, relate. But I put my right leg in my pants first. Habit. I've always done it that way. If I were to do this right here, it would mess up my whole day. I don't think, I mean, I'd probably walk around with just one leg of my pants on, you know? I just, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because I have grown so accustomed to doing what I do a certain way. You don't even realize that when you get up out of a chair, you have a leading leg. Did you know that? You have, you have a dominant eye. You have a dominant ear. If I were to tell you that starting today, well, no, I'm going to give you a week to get used to it. I'm not going to make you just start today, but I'm going to give you a week to get used to doing things differently. Will that give you enough time to prepare? How happy will you be? Will you get grouchy? Will you fuss? Will you complain? Will you bemoan the fact? Will you ask God to take this thorn from your flesh? Yes, because it's just awful. But there are certain things that if you don't do it, you're going to die. And churches are dying all over the United States because they refuse to change. Now, you're a young church here in comparison. In comparison, you have an opportunity to do some great things for God. Now, I want to I take this next slide here. Well, there were probably a couple slides here. This right here is what we were just talking about. Unlearned, preconditioned, prototype belief. And it goes back to the Revelation 2, 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Okay? You've got to go back, repent, and do the first works. Whatever it was that you were doing right in the beginning, go back and do that again. 
like whenever I was uh, my son's age, and I think it's kind of, he runs a lot, okay? He runs a lot, and that's good for him. When I was his age, I used to do that. Now I just laugh at him, okay? If you'll notice, the checks on my shirt are a little larger around the middle because they're stretched a little bit further. But whenever I, I mean, I know what I need to do, but am I going to be disciplined enough to do it? There are certain things that you just have to make a decision on and say, yes, I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. Am I going to be faithful to God? Let's go to the next one, right? I'm going to show you this one right here. These are some of the things that we need to do, and I hope that you can see those. And if you can, I want you to read these off with me. The first one, what we must do. This is what we must do. Please don't let me confuse you. This is what we must do. We must repent and unlearn. Are you telling me that I have done something that I must be repentant of? Good chance. Good chance. But I'm not pointing any fingers, okay? Because it all begins right here. I can't bemoan the world until I take the log out of my own eye. I got to have my life where it needs to be in order for God to use me. You take two glasses and set them up here, or you 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 go up in the in, at the in the cabinet at home and you you grab a glass down to get you some water and as it passes through the light in the window and you'll notice that it's got a big smudge on it or something you know it's just not clean what do you do with it well some of us might <laughs> like, well that's all right okay <laughs> can't be too bad no i don't want that you know and you take it and you put it in the sink because it needs to be washed and then you go until you get a clean glass what about god being able to use us if we are not a vessel that's worthy, if we're not a vessel that's clean enough, repent and unlearn. Unlearn some of the things that we have gotten used to in church. Secondly, immersive Bible study and prayer. We have, now look, I use, I use an iPad for a lot of stuff. I use my smartphone for a lot of stuff. I use, uh, I use technology a lot. I'm on Zoom calls almost on a daily basis with different churches and different pastors and different ministries, and, and it's made life so easy. But nothing is better than this book right here. And you can do it electronically, of course, but what we need to do is we need to get back to what this says. We, now, there's a lot of guys, and you know, I've heard Matt talk about many of the authors, and he's quoted many of the authors, and I do the same thing. I did so this morning. But the key is not what somebody else's opinion is. It's what God's opinion is and prayer. And I'm talking about a prayer life that many of us don't have. Now, we can say that we're a house of prayer, but what are we praying for? What are we praying about? What's our heart's attitude towards what it is that we're praying for and about? That is so important. And then quickly as I close, we need to focus, and this is more as a church, that's the reason why I've colored them differently. We need to focus internally versus externally. Uh, no, excuse me, that's, that's, that's what we've done is we have focused internally instead of externally. Uh, we need to grow laterally instead of vertically. And what I mean by that is we need to grow this way. We don't need to worry about coming up this way. This way will take care of itself if we take care of the growth on the ground. And that right there is done one-on-one -on -one discipleship, mentorship, pouring ourselves into the lives of those people that might be a step or so back behind us. The next one here, 
redesign infrastructure to better meet need. Better meet need. And that's something I do. I'll go into the church and I'll say, give me your governing documents, give me your constitution bylaws, give me your budgets, give me everything you got that you run the church with, and we're going to take it apart and we're going to see what lines up with the scripture and what lines up with tradition, what lines up with man. And that's what we need to do. And I know if you'll go in there in Matt's office and you look at his whiteboard, you'll see that that's something he's working on right now. Become more outwardly focused. Create more and equip for more micro-church environments. And let me tell you something about that one, and I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, COVID-19 has not all been bad, I must say. Now, it has disrupted our lives, and the first month or so that we were going through this, I had people calling me and emailing me and texting me, and they were saying, we just wanted to go back to normal. Well, normal wasn't a good place. Normal was not a good place. So what I propose instead is take an opportunity that is not what we would have preferred, that's pushed us out of our comfort zone, and get back to the first thing. Get back to the first thing. That's where we need to be today. Uh, create more and equip for more micro-church environments. We're not able to meet in the house of God, in the institution like we once did, but we have so many opportunities to reach people in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our schools than we ever have, and the technology is there now and has taken an incredible jump just in the last five or six months. We've become more aware of it, being pushed out of our comfort zone to where we've had to learn to use it. And now is an opportunity that we can reach so many people for the cause of Christ. I'm going to ask our guys to come back up as, as I finish up here. The main thing is, guys, is uh, not, not that last leverage technology and other resources for greater effectiveness. But bottom line is this. There's, there's a difference in fulfillment through an institution and I'm, and I'm the same way, so I'm not knocking you guys. I love what you do. I love what you do. But, you know, there was actually an order of service this morning. As long as I've been in the ministry, uh, between me, the worship guys, uh, the people on the board, uh, uh, ushers, all that, there's likely a piece of paper somewhere that says, this is what we're doing, and this is how we're doing it, and this is when we're doing it. Now, if we say at the end of the service that, okay, we checked that off, we did that good, we did this right, this was about 30 seconds later than what we thought, but yet we did it, and okay, yeah, okay, so eight out of eight, man, we, we just knocked it out of the park. But yet one person's life was not changed for eternity, not one person was challenged to reach someone. We failed miserably. So understand Yes, orders of service are important. All of these things that you see here are important. Uh, you look at some of the edifices that are just around us. Yes, those are important, but it's not the most important. Serving the institution, serving the tradition, serving the way it's always been is not the most important thing. What did the angel tell the apostle John? Repent and return. Is that not what he did? And that goes for all of us. So from your seats here today or from the altar or right down on your, on your form this morning, uh, you know, if you're wanting to speak with someone about getting back to the basics, 
I'll be happy to do that. Your pastor will be happy to do that. Those of you that are watching online, you know, if you're in your home right now or you're in your car uh, and you've got a relationship uh, that is not as strong as it once was for Christ, I'm asking you today just to bow your head from where you are. And if you have a need to repent, as I have so many, many times, and I had to as I was putting this message together and say, Father, I have gotten so caught up, so involved in so many things that are not the main thing. But I want to get back to the basics. Thank you for your time today. And I just want you to be praying as the band plays.